Today, we are actually continuing our series in Genesis. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, welcome. My name is G. I serve as executive pastor here at the City Lab Church. Great to have you, all of you here, and those of you watching us online, great to have you this morning. How many of you actually are enjoying Genesis? Yes? I don't know about you guys, but you know, one thing about standing before you on the pulpit is that you really have to prepare and prepare. And for me, uh, I have read Genesis multiple times, and even today, uh, this week, I'm preparing for Abram, and, and there are all these nuances, all the things that I haven't seen before. Uh, it's always been there. It's not like it just disappeared, but it's always been there. It's just my eyes that really didn't get to see it. Now, there are a lot of things that when you're studying the Word, you get to see a lot of things that you didn't see before, and that's what makes reading the Bible reading the scripture, so much fun. It should not be dull. Now, if you're reading the Bible this morning, today, if you say, oh gosh, I gotta read my Bible, something is wrong there. That means you're not either reading it right, or you don't understand what is the behind or the message of the Bible itself. So you're really missing out. And so my encouragement to you is if you want to dive in the book of Genesis with us, we actually have our devotional every day. It's called CLC Starter. Our daily devotional, you can actually download it on our app or online. You can visit our website. You can actually get a, a, a daily devotion that is gearing towards our sermon, but also the text that we're not going to be covering even in the sermon itself. So we have a contributors. We have Scott, uh, our Spock of our church, Jedi Master uh, himself. Uh, he's actually writing. We have Aisha. We have Stefan. And we have many different Megan uh, we have even have a rocket scientist. Think about that for a second. We have a rocket scientist that actually, he actually does make rockets for NASA. So he actually contributes to. So we actually have a variety of people that are contributing uh, the daily devotion. I highly recommend you to check that out, okay? Genesis. What's the story of Genesis? You may be wondering, why do we even study the Genesis? Because the Genesis is the story that begins the story. If you think about the general context of the Bible from the Genesis to Revelation, there is a theme, there is a narrative that the Bible is trying to give to the readers. And that is, we call it meta-narrative. And what it is, is it starts from the starting from the beginning. In Genesis chapter one is that God creates. A creation account actually begins the story of, not for, only for God himself, but story for you and me. It's a story of God and his goodness and his grace, his love and his mercy that creates everything that we enjoy, you and I enjoy here on earth. It's God who begins this story. But as we find in the book of Genesis, we see the fall. Pastor Chris mentioned earlier about Eve seeing the fruit and saw that it was good to eat and partake. Only command that God gave to man at this point to not to touch or eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is the one thing that God said don't do. And what did a man do? We did it. We fell. And so enters the sin in the world. But was that the part of God's plan? I would say, maybe. Depends who you ask. 
Depends who theologian you ask, depends on your scholars you ask, depends. But I will say that is not even the most important aspect of it because the next part is how is God going to redeem you and me? You see, so when you go from creation to fall, and now the plan of salvation or the redemption that we call, and the how, how is God going to redeem you and me? And the final part of the story is that God is going to restore everything. That even though there was a fall, that even though there will be redemption involved, but ultimately, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, that God is going to restore like it was from the beginning, the garden. And that is what the narrative, that's what the book, the Bible is actually gearing towards. So there is a narrative. There is a story within the story. There's a grand story that is being portrayed here. And last week, we talked a little bit about the starting of one man. His name is Abram. God will change his name to Abraham. And we saw that there was a sign of God choosing a one man to start all over. That through this man, that the Savior will one come in the future. And that's the story that we talked about a little bit last week. But before I do, I want to give you a little bit more backdrop. I talked about this last week, but I want to read this to you one more time so that we understand we're all on the same page, which is the theology of Genesis. So let me read this to you before we get into the text itself. The opening of chapters of Genesis portray God in a two complementary but complex ways. On the one hand, Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3 presents him as a transcendent being who exists apart from and outside of the universe he creates. His authority and power are demonstrated by his ability to order the world merely by speaking. He is both a God of order who established boundaries and the source of moral judgment who declares what is good. On the other hand, Genesis 2, 4 to 3, 24 pictures God as imminent, a deity who sculpts the first man from the ground and later fashions from one of his ribs a suitable companion for him. God walks in the garden and communicates face to face with those he has created. Set side by side, both portraits of God brings out distinctive aspect of his nature. As the rest of the Genesis unfolds, we witness in a variety of ways the transcendence and eminence of God as he both judges human wrongdoing and graciously establish the means by which humanity may once again know his favor and blessing. Through the covenant that he established with Noah and Abraham, God reveals himself as one who, he, who will be faithful to what he promises. In the outworking of his plan of salvation, God displays both his sovereignty and his graciousness, working patiently in the face of human rebellion and corruption. So let's dive into the scripture this morning. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. And here's what the word of the Lord says. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, 
between Beth El and I, to the place of the altar made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. If for the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as dust of the earth. So that if a man could number a dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamle, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. If you remember last week, we began the story of Abram. We started in chapter 12, where God is calling Abram out from his home country. The place is called Haran in Mesopotamia, Ur, which is by the Euphrates River, and God will call a man, this man, specific man, God will choose this man out of Haran to go to a place of unknown. Now, you may be wondering why Abram, and there are a list of things that we can say now that we know the entire story, but if you look Abram, it's the establishment. When God actually called Abram, he did not have much to offer. The man is full of flaws. He's an idol worshiper. His wife is barren. And surely he doesn't have land for himself. And these are the very things that God will promise Abram that he will make him great, that he will have and numerous descendants. The nations will be birthed out of the descendants of Abram and the land. See, you cannot start 
a nation without land. And to be able to have a land is really the promise that God makes to Abram. And he leaves. He leaves his comfort of his home, comfort of his tribe, his family that he knew. He left everything behind in order to follow and obey God. This is a radical faith. This is a radical thing that Abram actually has done. And we see that this radical faith to the unseen world is a challenge itself. But somehow, someway, Abram believed God's word and decided to go into this journey of unknown. And there are a few things that I mentioned last week. Faith requires obedience. Obviously, when God says, leave your country, leave your family, leave everything behind, if Abram didn't obey, we would not have a story of Abram. We would not be even talking about him today. You see how important obedience actually is in the sight of God. Faith without obedience is not faith at all. Faith in Christ, in God, should lead you to obeying God's word. So much so we see in the word of Jesus himself, if you love me, you will obey my words. There's something that moves God. There's something that excites God is when we are obedient to his word. Opposite is also true. The very predicament you and I are in today is because we disobeyed. The first sin entering in the world, that we disobey God, and now where we are, God has to come up with a plan, the redemptive plan, the plan of salvation to save you and me. Thank God we serve a God that didn't give up on us. Thank God for God that we serve the loving, gracious God that offers the way to be restored. Friends, the God we serve, we serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing God. Second thing I said was God's covenant is eternal. Le'olam in Hebrew, which is eternal. This is important for us to know that when God makes covenant with Abram and with Israel, with us, is eternal covenant. He's not going to change his mind. He's not like you and me. When there's an offense and or when there is uh, hurts, we give up on people. God will not contradict himself. Scripture tells us that Jesus is same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank God for that. Thank God for he is consistent. Thank God for he is same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God we serve is the same God today. Isn't that great? I'm glad he's not like me. Changes his mind all the time. And thirdly, God fulfills his promises. You see, God have promised these 
wonderful promises. One of the biggest promises that, that God makes with Abram is that he will have a son. And through this son, the nations will come out. And his descendants will be numerous as the sand and the stars. That's what God promised. And you may be wondering, well, yeah, I mean, we know the entire story now. Of course we know that it is true. But think for a moment, if you're Abram at that time, the course of 23 to 24 years, you did not see the promise being fulfilled. But it's only when Isaac comes into the scene. I can only imagine what Abram is going through, the grin in his face. I'm a father, so when you see your child, there is something that changes everything, the perspective of life. But for this case, for Abram to see the promised child coming through, I can only imagine the excitement that actually brought to Abram. Not only that. In Abram's lifetime, he will also see his grandchildren, Esau and Jacob. What he will see is only a speck of hundreds, thousands, millions, and millions, and millions of descendants that will come forth from that line. And 2,000 years ago, during the same line, putting our faith in that figurehead, the future Messiah, the number, whew, multiplied greatly. And you are the very answer. You are the descendants, according to the Romans, that we are also the descendants of Abraham by faith that when we encounter Christ and when we decide, when we encounter Christ in a whole new way, when the faith comes, God makes covenant with us through Jesus, for our faith in Jesus. Now we are covenant with God. Okay, that's just introduction. I'm running out of time, so here we are. <laughs> Whew. Let's just go the right into the text, shall we? Before we run out of time. Oh my gosh, it's 11.53. Um, then Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had along with him to the south. In Hebrew, it's Negev. Negev is actual area, the southern part of Israel. And this, he is going from Egypt to Negev. And you know the story behind the story is that it actually starts in Genesis chapter 12. When he's in Egypt, there was a fallout. There was a mistake. There was a lie and deception. There is a story within a story where it's not so great for Abram. He sell out his wife. If you haven't read that story, that's actually the case. Okay? He tells his wife, hey, we're going to Egypt. And if they know, because you're beautiful, number one, and because they know that you are my wife, they're going to kill me. So why don't you pose as my sister so I don't get killed, right? And so that's how the story went. And so when they get to Egypt, and the prince of, princess of Egypt see Sarah, and they say, oh, my gosh, she's beautiful. And so she, they bring her to Pharaoh, and they were planning to get married. And then God put a curse on Pharaoh 
And then Pharaoh come to Abram and say, hey, man, what have you done? Why do you do this to me? What have I done to you? Why do you say these things? Why did you tell me that this was your, not, why didn't you tell me this was your wife? Get out of here with all your belongings and things and servants and everything and go back to where you came from. And that's the backdrop of this story. He's actually returning from this incident. It's not good. I can only imagine this 230-mile journey was between Abram and his wife. <laughs> wife is probably shaking her head. It's like, I told you not to do that, but what you do? <laughs> Probably shame because there was a lie involved, because there was partial lie. I won't get into that. But there is, like, there is a sense of shame. There's a sense of failure as they're returning from Egypt. In verse 2, Abram, with odd verse, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Isn't that interesting? As they left Canaan to go to Egypt, because there was famine, they get to Egypt, they mount up all this wealth, and they come back to Canaan more rich which is actually the foretelling of what is to come where Israelites, and in Exodus, when they leave Egypt, they will mount up with the wealth of Egypt as they leave. It's a foretelling of what is to come. But this is where the real story is. It's not that Abram is not focused on the wealth, but birth starts and says, and he went on his journey from south, or Negev, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at in the beginning. Between Bethel and I, to the place of the altar which he made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And this is referring to Genesis chapter 12, 8, when he built an altar to the Lord. He come back from Egypt with a failure, think about it as a failure in mind, the shame in mind, what is the first thing that he does? He goes to the place he remember he encountered the Lord. And there he cry out to God. Here is a man with a repentant heart. That only, see, there was no temple back then. The only thing they know is an altar, altar where they encounter God and that's where he'll go. And he will cry out to him, wealth, the riches, does not matter too much to him. What matters to him the most is his relationship with God. And so he goes to the place that he knows. In verse 5, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks, herds, and tents. And this is important portion here. Lot was nephew of Abram. They, he also left Ur and Haran with Abram to come to the promised land. And during this process from coming to Canaan and going to Egypt, Lot also mounted up many wealth, much wealth during this process. And I believe the wealth and the herds continually grow not because how fascinating Lot was, has nothing to do with that, but it's because what God had promised Abram. You see, Lot was enjoying the blessing to be with a person, Abram, 
who was with God, who has made a covenant with God, now he had mounted this wealth. But here is when the conflict starts. Verse 6, land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Hmm. So you have a problem. As they come back from Egypt, now they have all these herds, sheep, goats, even camels. Camels were a sign of wealth back then. It's kind of like a Rolls Royce at that time. Camels. Even today, when you go to Israel or Egypt, the camel is roaming there. And if you have camels, it's very uncomfortable to ride that thing. I don't know. If you ever want to ride it in the future, I don't recommend it. Just look at it. Take a picture next to it. Pose. Uh, <laughs> that's all I recommend. I don't think you should do more than that. But anyways, there is not enough land. And you know why? Because they are in Canaan. Now, Canaan, the places there are mentioned, especially in the Negev, is a desert. The desert. And because it's a desert, the water is scarce, and the food is also scarce. So, what the shepherds and the herdsmen has to do, they have to travel far to find food. And we actually see this in the sons of Jacob. They will travel far, far country to Feed the flock. And here, we know that there is a conflict between Abram's herdsmen and the Lot's herdsmen. Interesting thing, though, I think there is something else going on. There is something else happening in the Lot's camp. What's happening in the Lot's camp is there is disputes. Most likely, Lot's Men are probably fanning the fire. Hey, we just got back from Egypt. Water was abundant there. Food is great. Why are we here? Why are we in this barren land where the water scouts, food is scouts? Why are we here with this man? We can go to Egypt. We can go to Jordan. We can go back to Ur. We can go back to Haran. And we can be great in those places, but here we are stuck with Abram here in this land. Now, quick thought. If you were able to gain all these riches because of somebody else's favor, wouldn't you try to work it out? Wouldn't you try to make some kind of way to make this work? And you see, Lot is not trying to negotiate. We don't see him trying to make ways to reconcile with Abram. We do not see it. I just don't. And by his action, we know exactly why he wants to separate. He wants to take what is his, and he wants to cut off completely because he wants to dwell elsewhere. The land that was promised to Abram is not enticing to Lot's eyes. 
verse 8. So Abram said to Lot. And this is what I call speech of Abram. Beautiful speech. In verse 8, he says, please, let's stop there. (laughs) Please. Usually, when you say please to someone, it is a lot of times you are lesser asking for something from the other person, no? Here is Abram, older, who has possessed everything, who has all the right to tell Lot, in the worldly sense, you know what, you want to go? Take your donkeys and out of here. (laughs) There's a double meaning in that. Uh, Think about that for a second. You have mounted so much wealth because of me. Because I have done, because you have come with me. You have mount all this gold, all this silver, all this riches, all the things that you have. Now you're going to complain, how dare you? Is that the word of Abram? Huh. Let there be no strife between you and me. I like that. Here is a man. Here is a man that understands or experienced grace. Because if you have not experienced grace, you will not be able to offer or say the things what Abraham is saying here. And here's why. He is more concerned of his relationship with Lot than all the possessions. It doesn't matter much to him. What he wants is that he rather have a relationship with Lot than the material things. And what he's about to offer to Lot, wow. It's an offer that he cannot refuse. It's not the whole land before you. Whole land, the entire land that God has promised Abram. And what Abram is actually offering to Lot is the part of the promised land. Do you understand what that means? That means lost descendants will be part of Abram's blessing forever. Remember Leolam, which is forever. Lot had an opportunity to be part of this grand story of salvation and be part of God's blessing. But what did he do? You see what Abram is offering, right? He's offering the very land that God had promised. But verse 10, Lot, here we go. Oh, before we do that, verse 9, please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, there's a map that I would like to show you. I have my laser pointer this time. First service, I didn't have it, so. What's my preaching without that? Okay, so here we go. This is Canaan. This is Moab, Ammon, Bashan, Aram. This is Canaan, and this is Negev. Okay? Where Abram and Lot is talking is about right here. 
Can you go to the next slide, please? You are standing about in this area. What Abram is actually offering to Lot is that if you go to the left, remember, they're looking this way. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Clear. This is very important for you to know. Abram never offered the land that Lot is about to go. Never. What Abram offered was the Canaan, the promised land. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan. These are mountain and these are the plains. And this area is rich with soil, abundance of water, and scripture actually gives a description like garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Abram never offered that part. And he goes. Lot decides to go. He separates himself from Abram and go to the plain of Jordan. Plain of Jordan, and this is where scholars believe the Sodom and Gomorrah was. But this whole entire area was rich in soil. And so that is the story. Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed to the east, and they separate from each other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now, today we're not going to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, but we will in a couple of weeks coming up. Abram, at this point, when Lot decided to choose to separate himself to leave, to go to the plain of Jordan, near the Sodom. And there's a one verse in this scripture that is important for us, which is in verse 7. It says, the Canaanites and Perizzites then dwelt in the land. This is odd verse to be included in this verse, but I believe that there's a reason why it's there. I believe that it is there to remind Abram and Lot that there is something that is more important than the material possession. They are watching. They are observing how and what Abram and Lot will do, especially in this conflict. And so we know that Lot will go to the place Abram never promised. It's not part of the promised land. And I will go. And he will settle there, Sodom, that is. But don't make any mistake about it. The people at that time, Canaanites, Pesorites, Parasites, all of them, they knew what Sodom represented. They knew how wicked this place was, even with themselves. And Lot is going to a place of unthinkable. Now, Abram, at this point, I can only imagine 
what he is going through at this time. His own nephew, someone that actually came along with him to the promised land, the Canaan, decide to leave, not to the place that he recommends, go to the very place, the wicked and sinful place that you can find. I can only imagine how devastating it would have been for Abram. But that's not the end of the story. Because after Lot separates himself from Abram, God appears to Abram. In verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Maybe Abram thought that Lot was a future. There are some scholars believe at this point in Abram's life that he thought that Lot is going to be the next person in line. Now, that put a huge pressure on Abram now, too. The lowest point of Abram's life, not only from the Egypt episode, it just continued as he arrived to Canaan where his own nephew will break off from him. And if you think that somehow you're having a tough time, tough season in your life, you have a family problem, think Abram, what he had to go through. The very promised person is going to the lowest place, not only on earth, but spiritually the lowest place that you can go. And the disappointment, the devastation that Abram endured at that moment is unthinkable. It's unfathomable to think that way. But it's that very moment that God appears to Abram and said, don't worry, it's going to be all right. Trust me, I will still make your name great. Your descendants will be numerous of the sand of the sea. If you can count the dust, if you can count the sand, if you can count the stars, you know what kind of God we serve and how he will make impossibility into possible. And that's the type of God we serve today. A couple of things before we end. In verse 18, then Abram moved his tent and went and dwell. When God tells him to get up, it's not just getting up physically, but it's also spiritual. Rise. Stand up, stand up tall. I got plans for you. This is not the place for you to mope. This is not the place where you stay, but I'm bringing to the place that I have promised you. It's time for you to get up. It's time for you to move. And that's why he tells Abram. And that's exactly what he does. Isn't that crazy? Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the turbans tree of Bamre, which is in Hebron, and built the altar there to the Lord. If there's any lesson that we can learn from today is continuously, what I mentioned last week is the faith 
It requires obedience. But today we see that faith is exemplified through obedience. And we see in Hebrews 5.8, Hebrews 5.8, we see that Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, that he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. If Abraham didn't obey, there will be no story of Abraham. Jesus would not have come through the line of Abraham. There will be no story of Jesus if the Jesus decided not to obey God. But because he obeyed, because faith was exemplified through obedience, you and I are sitting here celebrating our amazing Savior. Secondly, the kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light you know, there's a cosmic battle that are being waged every day, every day, every second. And that war we don't see with our eyes, but war is happening. It's a kingdom of light versus kingdom of darkness. In Genesis 14, 21, later on, we will see that there will be a war, the first world war according to the scripture. And there, Lot will be captured where Abram has to go and rescue. As he is returning from the rescuing of Lot, I can only imagine what the, that conversation would have been. King of Sodom shows up, the king that was defeated. But he comes to Adam, Abram in verse 21, 14, 21. Give me the persons and take the good for yourselves. Now, the word persons or nefesh it's not persons, but it's a soul. Inner being of man. There is a war happening right now. It's the kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. Both are waging war after the soul of a man and woman. It seems as if when you're living in the world, you feel like you're losing. It feels like Things are getting so dark, you don't see light. But friends, brothers, sisters, you are the light of the world. When God rescued you and me, he had a plan. He had a plan to take us into the world that is dark, to be the light of the world that you cannot escape. And that's what we're called to do, be the light and salt in the world. And finally, eyes of faith perseveres and resists temptation of the world while fixating our eyes on eternal hope. Abraham and Lot both saw the land with their eyes. But what separates one from another is the eyes of faith. Abram was able to see beyond physical blessings and the generation blessings that was far beyond himself. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to walk by faith and not by sight. Don't get caught up in this world, the things of the world which perishes so quickly. The things that promise you from this world will not remain 
but things that God promises will remain forever and ever and ever. And those things, my friends, are you should be after. Walk by faith. Faith in Jesus. Place your faith in Christ in this world, and God will use you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this day that we can look to you, our wonderful Savior, that we do not have to get caught up in this world, be tempted by this world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Help us, Lord. Gain us a spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear, and the soul that is solely belong to you and you alone. Let us walk that life. I pray that, Lord God, that all of us in this room and those watching us online will place our faith in you and you alone. We love you. We thank you. In the precious name of your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.